Welcome, everyone, to the Gridiron Review Podcast. I'm Zach, that's Jack, and we're glad to have you all here and excited to be a part of your NFL offseason coach. In this episode, we will be looking into all the coaching hires around the league with some notes on their coordinators that we know of if we feel that they're necessary. Jack, let's start off with the Chicago Bears. So the Chicago Bears hired uh, former Colts defensive coordinator Matt Aberfluss. Personally, I think that this is a really great hire since – uh, Frank Reich took over the Colts. Uh, Eberflus just seems to be one of the top-notch defensive coordinators in the league. He, I believe, came from, it was either Dallas or Tennessee, and it just seems like he turned the, the Colts' defense around. He seems like a player's coach. Guys love to play for him. I thought that Eberflus was going to get one of the coaching jobs last year. He ended up uh, staying in Indy for another year, but honestly, I think that gave him more time to show what he was capable of as a coach. The thing that I would say about Eberflus is even though he he has one of arguably the top defenses in the league, the one thing to note with him is that the guys that he has on his defense aren't like the first names you think of. Like Kenny Moore is probably one of the better nickelbacks in the league, but he's not the first name you think of when you think of top cornerbacks. And Julian Blackman's another one. He he has Buckner and Leonard as his two main defensive pieces there, but it's not like a like a 49er defense or an Arizona Cardinal defense or a Rams defense that just screams superstar. The reason I bring that up is because Eberflus takes over a team with a history of having a great defense from the 85 Bears to even the last couple of years just being a top-notch team. They don't have a lot of uh, changeover in their defense. Mac has been the same. Roquan Smith in the middle. Um, Eddie Goldman, I believe, is still there. Eddie Jackson. So this is a unit that has been playing together for a lot of years. And under a guy like Everflush with the knowledge of the defense, to see what he did with an okay Colts personnel group on defense, it'll be interesting to see what he can do with these elite guys like Smith and Mac and Eddie Jackson and them. We talked about it before the show. We would argue that Everflush was one of the better hires this offseason uh, we gave him an a just a couple other notes on uh the bears ryan poles was brought in as their general manager just a little fact about him is he was actually an undrafted player by the bears uh, i believe back in 2008 and he ends up back in chicago to be their gm they believe that uh his knowledge from being a player and his time around the league and front office positions um, is going to make him one of the better GMs in the league. Coordinator-wise, Everflus brought in Luke Getze, who was the Packers passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach. For a young riser in Justin Fields, I think that's a great hire. Um, you look at the way that the Packers offense has looked over the last X amount of years, and I'm not quite sure how long Getze was there, but it's a great sign for Fields getting a guy that has been working with Rodgers for however long. And he brought in his defensive backs coach from Indy, Alan Williams, to be the defensive coordinator. I don't know much about him, but he seems to be pretty good at developing the defensive backs. And I think for a team like the Bears with an up-and-coming young corner like Jalen Johnson, it could be a great hire. Moving right along, the other defensive coordinator that was picked to be a head coach this offseason was Dennis Allen for the Saints. As a, as a coach, we gave Dennis Allen a C-plus with with some potential to move that rank up. The the biggest issue for him is that he's in arguably the worst cap situation in the league right now. Allen struggled 
pretty mightily with the Raiders in his time when they were in Oakland. But he's had six years under Sean Payton. He went from his head coaching job with the Raiders to defensive assistant for a year and then right up to defensive coordinator for Sean Payton. I would have to imagine that at some point Allen had learned the insides and out of being a head coach and maybe what he was doing wrong in Oakland. So hopefully there's some improvement there. I was talking to Zach before we started the show. And one of the things that I think could have happened is with Allen being such a sought out defensive coordinator and doing such a great job over the last six years with the Saints defense, who's constantly in top five talk in the league. I think that I mean, the reports are coming out that Sean Payton just seemed unhappy with coaching and kind of lost his love for it. But I wonder if it was partially planned that Payton steps down now so that they don't lose Dennis Allen. Like, if they believe that he's going to be the successor to Payton, did they ask Sean Payton to step down now so that they don't lose him? But assuming that's not the case, I think that Allen is going to need time. He can't be a one-year and out like Coley, a two-year and out like Judge Shermer, McAdoo. I think they need to give him three, four, five years because we're looking at a situation where you could be trading away superstars just so that you can get your money issues right. And it wouldn't be fair to him to have to trade all these guys and then be expected to win right away. If he does get fired, he was set up to fail and it's not fair to him. But that's all I got on the two defensive guys that were hired. I'm going to kick it to Zach for the Broncos hire. The Broncos decided to go with Nathaniel Hackett, the Packers offensive coordinator. We gave this a hiring a grade of B plus. The only reason it's not better is, well, I guess there's two reasons. One, anytime you talk about coming from a team with a, you know, an all world quarterback like Rodgers, there's always going to be wondering how much, you know, was Hackett responsible, even LaFleur, as much as I think LaFleur is a good coach. though until Rodgers leaves and he has a different quarterback, it'll always be a, a little whisper of, is it all Rodgers? Is it all LaFleur? How much does Hackett have a role? However, it's definitely a good hire, not a bad hire. The, the one that, the, the negative that sticks out is uh, their offensive coordinator. He brought in Justin Alton. I don't know if I'm saying that right. As the former Green Bay Titans coach, anybody that's known Green Bay for pick a year, they really just have not had a good tight end room. So the fact that you're bringing in a guy that hasn't been able to truly develop the position that he was supposed to is a slight concern, um, but still it's it's a good hire. And then uh, we'll see if, you know, if he's able to bring Rodgers with him, we'll talk about that in another podcast. That's a great hire. That is an amazing hire. Because now you set up to be a huge contender right away. That's all we have on Hackett. There's just not much to know beyond that it's him. And the next coach is the final defensive-minded coach that we have. Jack, you want to talk about Lovey Smith? Yeah. Um, before I go into Smith, just real quick, back on Hackett. I think that, uh, I mean, two things that Zach and I had talked about about Hackett was that, one, is it a ploy to get Rodgers to leave Green Bay? The second thought would be, does this have to do with Drew Locke? Like, if Hackett is the reason that Rodgers looked as good as he did in the offense, and it's not to say Rodgers isn't, you know, a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback, but can he revive Drew Locke's career? I mean, Locke has the arm. He has the mobility. I mean, he's shown flashes. There's no reason that Locke can't be a starter or at least go fight for a spot in the league. And I know that maybe for him right now, he wants out. But for a guy like Hackett with 
working with a guy like Rodgers, I feel like if I'm Locke, I have to at least think for a second, like maybe this is – like this isn't Nick, uh, Vic Fangio. This this is an offensive guy that's worked with one of the best. Maybe he maybe he has the answer for me. Again, to Zach's point, out and I, I really don't know why you choose him. But um, to Zach's point, moving on to the Texans, Lovey Smith. I really don't know what to think of this pick as a coach, honestly. Uh, I feel like they – I don't want to say it was a panic move, but – Lovey Smith's name wasn't really in the running at all. He he was a last minute guy that they interviewed and and hired. And I guess that I get that you're hiring from in house, but I don't. I mean, Lovey Smith in his past in the NFL really isn't anything special. I mean, I I don't. Maybe there's they see something that we don't. Uh, it's entirely possible, or just something that. Maybe I'm missing. I didn't watch many Texans games, uh, but Lovey Smith hasn't didn't even succeed in college. I mean, that seems like the place where you go and try to revive your career. And I get that it's Illinois, but you would think that there's there's something there that he could have worked with. Uh, we gave the pick a C minus. One of our thoughts is that it had to do with. Flores becoming too hot and what we mean by that is Flores as everyone knows filed the lawsuit against the NFL for the Rooney rule and we Zach and I agree that that is the right thing to do and that Flores although putting himself in an unfortunate predicament is doing the right thing for the overall like sake of the NFL but if you hire Flores you're gonna have media at every like everywhere and I just don't think that for a team that really doesn't have much going right now can afford to just be swarmed by the media we we did a kind of a roster breakdown just just in talk yeah I think it was yesterday and I mean you have Davis Mills you have Brandon Cooks but whereas in the past where if someone said hey can you name someone on their defense you could have named McKinney, Zach Cunningham, J.J. Watt, Jonathan Joseph, Kareem Jack. Like, there's all these guys that were there, and seemingly the only one left is Justin Reed. I really don't know that I can name anyone else on that defense, and, I mean, it's not like I don't know what I'm talking about. It would be interesting to see if Lovey Smith, like Holy, only gets a year where maybe if the Florissant clears up, they, they go for him again, but it just seems like it's – kind of an unfair situation to him because no one actually knows what's going on and he, I don't know to me he doesn't seem like a long-term option and for a team that has nothing going for them right now you need to start planning for the future and that's just it's not what's happening right now Zach you have any thoughts to build off of I just wanted to to say talking about his success I actually heard a stat the other day I don't know if it's 100% true but that he's actually third all time in Bears wins I don't know if that's true. My, I heard that. However, he's definitely a mixed bag of a coach. It's not like he's succeeded everywhere he's gone. My biggest problem with this is just like you said, if he's being hired just for one more season, that's going to look awful. If they fire Lovey Smith, after, because they just fired Coley after he exceeded expectations. Nobody expected the Texans to win a game, especially with the whole thing with Watson. And they won, I believe, four. And despite this un unexpected success Coley was still fired 
I have to imagine he was fired to get Flores once Flores became available. I'm not sure about the exact timeline there, but that Flores, like you said, became way too hot. And, and again, we absolutely believe he's doing the right thing. But if Lobby Smith is hired just for one season, it proves Flores' point. To me, it, it makes it, it makes him look even worse than they already have. And, you know, the only thing, other thing I can say is the beard is badass. It's, the kind of guy I could see leading a team. Now, as you said, they lack talent all across the board. So it just, I I don't know. You know, I have no idea if they're going to give him a long leash, if they're going to say, look, we want you for three years. And if by three years you still aren't winning, then that's it. It's hard to say. And the Texans are going to text him, I guess. You know, I, you just would have liked, for me personally, I would have liked to see them take a swing on a young unknown that could pay off. But neither Coley nor Smith have been that that coach. So we'll see what happens. And I can't say enough. If they fire him after next year, it's not going to be good. It is going to be very, very bad. So I hope he succeeds. But right now we have it at a C- minus because he has no roster talent to win with. And I could just go on forever about the Texans and their inability to run a franchise. So we are going to keep moving along to the next franchise in the NFL that can't get out of their own way. And that's the Jacksonville Jaguars. As everybody knows, they made the genius idea of hiring an Urban Meyer, the latest college superstar coach to fail at the NFL level. Add him to the list that just grows by the day. The worst part about it is, as anyone who's, who's in football knows, Urban Meyer destroyed the culture, I would argue. I mean, talk about ruining and wasting your number one overall once-in-a-lifetime quarterback prospect rookie year. Yes, Lawrence was bad. We all know that. And he failed expectations that were just enormous. However, it's hard to do that when you have Urban Meyer and all of his antics and you just really screwed up big time. So what do they do? They go out and hire Doug Peterson as their head coach. I personally do not like Doug Peterson. I know he's he brought the Eagles their only Super Bowl, and that, that counts for something. But there's a lot of negative news around Peterson in culture sense, in a front office sense. You know, as as we've heard, there was possibility of a power struggle when he was in Philly. How many of the, the bust draft picks, the Jalen Riegers, the J.J. Arcega-Whitesides, was pushed for by Doug Peterson? What was the deal with Wentz? Was that whole all out all Wentz's fault or was it more on Peterson I don't think anyone truly knows the answer I know Wentz isn't the best person around but Peterson had to be part of it as a coach you got to get past that kind of stuff and I mean I guess probably the biggest issue above all is or uh, Balky is still there as the GM who's notoriously bad to work with and if you would have stopped playing around and fired everyone you could have had Byron Leftwich as your coach right now which to me would be an A grade. And instead, you kept Balky for who knows what, despite a lot of problems, and you hired Doug Peterson, which maybe he rebuilds the culture and maybe they win more, but it just doesn't – it feels like with someone like Trevor Lawrence there, you could have you could have landed a massive – a massively popular coach like Leftwich. And instead, you didn't fire Balky, and he withdrew his name. So – for me, or for us, we graded it as a C. It could be a lot worse by the time this is over. But, I mean, I suppose it could be better. I mean, maybe Peterson wasn't the issue. 
in Philly, maybe it was Wentz. And the last thing I'll just say is for Trevor Lawrence's sake, for the, the amount of losing you've done to end up with a player that was, since he was in high school, heralded as the next coming of Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning, this needs to work. You cannot give him three coaches in three years or three coaches in four years and expect him to be everything you drafted him to be. Uh, I know that was a huge rant, but uh, Jack, this, you got anything more to add? It's going to be a build off of everything you said. And I think it starts even, even past bulky. I think the issue is Saad Khan who, who runs or who owns the Jaguars. And I really don't know if the Jaguars are going to be able to get their act together until he's gone. And it, to, I mean, to push an owner out has got to be one of the hardest tasks to do. But it seems like everyone in Jacksonville hates him. As long as he's still running it, it seems like the issues are just going to just keep going. And for a team whose only AFC championship appearance was 2017 or 2018, and you fall way off, I mean, this is another team like the Texans with really no talent there. They went from being Saxonville to – being a bunch of guys off the street with the exception of Josh Allen and Miles Jack. Um, but kind of moving down the line, as Zach said, Balky is still there. And what, from what we heard, one of the reports was Byron Leftwich wanted Balky out if he was to coach there. And he's the guy that they chose. And I think that was a mistake as Jim Harbaugh, it seemed like, left the Niners because of Balky. It just – Everything we've heard about Balky is that he's hard to work with. And for a guy like Doug Peterson, who, to Zach's point, has concerns around him, I personally believe that Peterson has a power issue, like a serious power trip. And if Peterson and Balky are going to be who they are, this is going to end arguably worse than Urban Meyer's stuff. Because Urban Meyer's stuff, it's hard to tell how much of it was actually his coaching and how much of it was just all the off the field stuff. I mean, obviously, you know, kicking a player is how you conduct yourself as a coach, but in terms of like the game planning and, and the football aspect of it, was he the right guy in terms of uh, like scheme and stuff, but just kind of circling back to left, which is I get that he has Brady and he has, all this great stuff in Tampa Bay. But even if you watch like the play calling itself, it just seems right. And for a guy who worked with Brady, he has so much to bring to the table for a kid like Lawrence with these high expectations that you want to see achieved, but he can't because his rookie year was a clown show. I mean, Leftwich, for him to say that Balky needs to go either means that he knows Balky is an issue where he has a guy in Tampa that he wanted to bring with him. And we saw multiple examples of that. And I'm not going to go into it because we haven't touched on them yet, but the Raiders hired a coach and a general manager from the same team. The Giants hired a coach and a general manager from the same team. Leftwich probably had the same thing in mind. And even past that, you, you could bring guys get, or get guys like Godwin to follow Leftwich to Jacksonville. I mean, Jacksonville, Florida, has to be one of the hottest football markets just like just like college football where like the U and all those Florida schools are hot markets Jacksonville has to be a hot market but no one wants to be there because it's a circus I mean 
Peterson, Urban Meyer. I, I this definitely. I mean, we graded as a C, but I think it has the potential to be better, and I think it has the potential to be worse. If Peterson can control him his power trip and focus on what he does best in uh, calling plays, maybe he can put something together here. But I feel like for all the rumors that there were about Leftwich and Godwin and all of this, they really came out with a real, like one of the worst situations possible, this, this coaching carousel, but moving along, because as Zach said, I could talk about that circus forever. The next team was the Raiders who I actually just brought up. They hired Dave Ziegler, who is the something to let player personnel, I think in uh, New England. But the point the point is that they brought in guys that are familiar with each other from being in New England together so long. McDaniels, personally, I think that this could potentially be the best uh, coaching hire this time around. And I'm wearing a Khalil Mack jersey to represent my love for this hire. McDaniels, to me, is one of the best offensive coordinators in football. And it just shows in, to Zach's point, we talked about this before the show, is his adaptability. I mean, he goes from Tom Brady to Cam Newton and gets the offense to work. And then back to Mac Jones, who's more Brady-esque in terms of being a pocket passer. And he find he has found success in every system that he's he's run in New England. Now, are they the number one offense? Absolutely not, because – and I think that goes a little bit past McDaniels and not having offensive weapons. But I think you're looking at a guy who probably ranks top five, arguably top three in offensive coordinator every year. And, I mean, McDaniels has been highly, highly sought after in the last three to four years. And to me, like, that is – for him to be like, this is the year I want to leave New England is a huge green flag for me if I'm the Raiders because for four years, you've had your your choice of um, of a coaching job. And this is the one that he picks. Like he must see something within this organization that other people aren't seeing. And I get that McDaniels was kind of a late addition to their, to their interview process, but for him to to take this one of everything he's been offered in four years is huge. And I mean, I can understand that he gets a tight, a clear tight end one with Waller. He gets a power run game with Jacobs. He has a pass catcher type player in Kenyon Drake. It seems like the pieces are there for him to build a similar uh, New England offense. And maybe he gets even more out of car than we saw this year. Um, I just think that there's a lot of potential here with McDaniels taking over uh, this Raiders organization who, despite everything that happened last year, made the playoffs and almost advanced past the Bengals who are now in the Super Bowl. There's just, I just think there's so much positivity around this hire, but I'm going to send it to Zach for any other thoughts. So you covered a lot of the points. Specifically, I wanted to talk about uh, Ziegler, and I know – Mayock as a GM hit on some later round picks. I mean, Nate Hobbs, Max Crosby, those guys have been sealed, I would argue. But he whiffed on every first rounder almost. Obviously, the rug situation is different. But it just seems like for a guy whose calling card was player evaluation, specifically in the draft, 
they missed so many because Mayock and maybe it was a lot of Gruden too, tried to be smarter than everyone else. Instead of taking the right pick, they took the pick that they thought, at least from what it seemed like on our from our point of view, that they thought would just blow everyone out of the water. I mean, Colin Farrell is a decent player, but you took him so high and you could have had so many other positions and you took rugs and I get that that is a different situation, but what if you had CD lamb, you know, what if you had, obviously Justin Jefferson wasn't as high as the other guys, but still like you want to be smarter than anyone else. Take Justin Jefferson ahead of any other wide receiver that class. You look like a genius. And I think Ziegler, has the potential to bring the player evaluation skills being with New England for so long that Mayock was supposed to have, or at least trusting to just do the right pick, not think too hard on it, not try to be too fancy. The last thing I want to mention here is Jack mentioned all the weapons. He forgot to mention the most important one of all to McDaniel, and that's Hunter Renfro. He gets his white slot receiver. Um, all jokes aside, Renfro took a massive step forward this year and is probably a top three slot receiver in football, maybe even number two behind Cooper Cup. You'd have to think about it. But if this team adds, let's say the rumors are true and they add Devontae Adams or they add a receiver in the draft, suddenly this offense is insane, or at least one of the better ones. And with the firepower to compete with, with the Chiefs and with the Chargers, and it just seems like, like Jack said, this was – the job McDaniels took for a reason. And I think that this could be definitely the best hire. We'll just have to see what happens. And the last thing I just want to throw in there as I'm thinking about this, there was a lot of debate on whether the new coach of the Raiders would rebuild the team. And this doesn't feel like it. This feels like a hire to win now to load up and take it to the next level and put it to the Chiefs. We're going to just keep rolling along here. I believe we have three left. Three. Yes. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about Mike McDaniel, who was hired by the Dolphins, the former San Francisco offensive coordinator. We graded this hire as a B. I and I think Jack agreed that this is probably the riskiest hire purely from a who you fired versus hired standpoint. Obviously, the firing of Brian Flores is going to haunt them in more ways than one. I mean, basically, he took a team that had, I believe, two wins, right? And like had them, he owned New England the time he was there. He had them on the verge of playoffs twice. And it's like, why was he fired? Uh, but anyway, we're not talking about the firing. We're talking about the hiring. And McDaniel is kind of an unknown, I guess not an unknown, but just more of an interesting hire. What he's got going for him is he's learned from Kyle Shanahan. He was part of that Washington coaching staff with McVay, LaFleur, and Kyle Shanahan. And I just, the thing that keeps coming up to me is if he doesn't make the playoffs in the first two years, where I don't think the Dolphins have the greatest roster talent in the world. They're not awful, but I don't think they're the best. But what's the point of firing Flores? Why why hire McDaniel, you know, and keep your old GM, which also going forward seems to suggest that you chose Tua over Flores, because it certainly seemed like Flores was pushing for Deshaun Watson or another quarterback. And how much will that haunt you? Because to me, personally, Tua doesn't seem like there's much there. And if Tua doesn't work out, it seems like McDaniel's going to fall, it's going to be on that ship with Tua, and he has to make it work. But in doing so, he brings over an offense that Jack can cover. Uh, Jack, go ahead. Before I get into the offense, I just want to touch on something that Zach said. And I know that, to his point, this isn't about the firing, but he took 
again, what we believe is a two-win team, I don't quite remember. But a two-win team who was chanting uh, tank for Tua for years, and he he turned them into a winning a winning team. And for a guy like that, who seems like a player's coach that everyone wants to play for, and I mean the example that I bring in here is Xavier Howard. He before the season asked for a trade, and he ended up. And maybe it's just that he wanted to be professional about it, but he came in at the start of training camp and he never looked back. He played the whole season for them. Now, again, I don't know if that's him wanting to be professional or maybe it's because he loved Flores, but you start one and seven or oh and seven, whatever it was this year. And he not only brings them back from the dead, they're in playoff contention. I mean, they're a couple games away from being in this year's playoffs, which when you start 0-7, no one no one expects you to be there. Flores just seems like the coach that you want. And I get that he wasn't hired this year because of everything around him. But the truth of the matter is he really should have never been there. And it seems like to Zach's point that when it came down to it, Flores, it doesn't sound like one or two anymore. And the GM did. And the owner chose the GM over Flores. But kind of building off that point is you do have Tua now. And I think that you look at a guy like Mike McDaniels, who has been with Shanahan since his time in Washington, and he he's run Shanahan's system. He was his offensive coordinator this last year. And I like Jimmy G. I don't have any issues with him. But if you can get an offense to run that smoothly around a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, what can you do with a guy like Tua, who had all this promise coming out of college? I mean, injury injury risk aside, Tua, it seemed like he had the arm strength. He had the pocket. Like, it just seemed like the little things were there. And maybe it was the offensive coordinator that Flores brought in, or who knows what it is. But if there's anyone that can revive any part of Alabama Tua, I think that it is Mike McDaniels. He he comes from Shanahan's system. And what I heard the other day was that at Alabama, Tua worked under a guy who was also part of the Shanahan um, coaching tree. So maybe being put in back into a system similar to, but in a, like a more complex NFL style way could be the best thing for Tua. And if Mike McDaniel can get the best out of Tua this year and he Tua doesn't look scared and held back like he did the last couple of years, maybe the, the Flores firing is a little more justified, but until then we won't know. And, to Zach's point, if it doesn't work out, McDaniels has got to be on the ship with Tua and just looks bad on everybody. Um, moving along here, the next one would be the Vikings. They hired the Browns VP of Football Ops, Kwesi Adolfo Mensa, as their new general manager. I'm not going to speak too much on him because I really don't know much about him. But they brought in Rams offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell as their head coach. We gave this coaching hire a B-. minus. Um, again, just like all of them, I think that there is room for him to move up. The big question here is how much of the Rams offense was O'Connell compared to McVay? And will O'Connell bring a McVay type system to Minnesota? The thing I like about the Rams offense is that they run a lot of jet motion and stuff like that to get the defense to shift and open up holes for the run game. I think there's a lot of good that comes from running a system like that. Maybe a little predictable as we saw in the Rams 
Super Bowl appearance a couple years back against the Patriots, but I think O'Connell can unlock a new level of this Vikings offense that we haven't seen under defensive-minded Mike Zimmer and very closed-minded Mike Zimmer for that matter. I think he's going to find a way to get Jefferson the ball in more ways than just receiving. I think you could see Jefferson becoming a cup or a woods type player where they run motion and they give him the ball in the backfield and just kind of let him take off with it. O'Connell does have decisions to be made here. I think, I mean, we'll go into this deeper in a later podcast, but um, guys like Cousins, are you willing to give Kellen Mond a shot? Because Mike Zimmer was not, and he was very adamant about not giving Mond a shot, which is, first off, very unfair to the kid, but it didn't make any sense. Mond led it up at the Senior Bowl, and he had the most upside, arguably, of any quarterback last year. I don't know why you're not at least – I mean, you weren't making the playoffs. Why are you not just, hey, let's see what he can do and get – and Zimmer said, well, I see him in practice. Yeah, well, practice Kellen Mond and – game Kellen Mond are probably two very different people and now no one knows what Mond looks like because this idiot decided that he didn't care about his backup quarterback and he didn't care about the records and by the end of it it just seemed like he didn't care about literally anything but I know Zach has a couple of thoughts here so I'm gonna send it over to him. I know you just covered that but uh, I just want to say anything is better than the closed-minded I don't give a crap about no records Mike Zimmer and that really Kevin O'Connell is the complete opposite of Zimmer in that he's young, he's offensive centric, he's probably not bitter. Uh, you know, it just the way that Zimmer ended this season makes me wonder why wasn't this done one or two years ago? Maybe even more. Like why why wait so long? I don't know. It's it's not worth thinking about too much. I think considering O'Connell was a part of the offense this year that had Cooper Cup have this historic year, and I am Cooper Cup one of Cooper Cup's biggest fans. Like I love him. But theoretically Jefferson should be better so it's just like all of the records that cup just approached and everything you could argue jefferson has a chance to top that and you know it feels like if they add another receiver to that room and o'connell brings over mcveigh philosophy this could be a very high-powered offense now again to your point whether that's with cousins quarterbacking it or I, I, I personally doubt as much as I believe Kellen Mond could have a shot. I don't know that he's ready yet. I don't think anybody can know because of the same reasons you noted. But do they trade Cousins and bring in a veteran one-year guy while they see what they have in Mond? It doesn't matter. Like, this offense should be much better. And if Jefferson is doing all this with Zimmer as a coach, just watch out with, with somebody from McVay's tree. I mean, it could be something special this year and next year and going forward if O'Connell is there. But, you know, O'Connell is another, you know, as there have been the trend recently, he's a young offensive-minded guy where you really don't know. And he could work out like LaFleur, like McVay, or, you know, he might not turn out the best, but pieces are there, at least on the offensive side of the Vikings, to to keep, to stay competitive. And uh, that's all I'll say about that. And we are going to do the final hire of the day, my personal favorite, although McDaniels is close. And that is the Giants. They hired Brian Dable, and I have it as an A grade, and I think Jack agrees it's a good hire. If they believe in Daniel Jones, like it has been noted, this is the best possible hire I think you could have made. And you're setting him up to finally grow and have success, and nothing against Joe Judge. It probably wasn't all his fault, and we both agree that he'll probably get another shot after a couple of years, and maybe he works out better. But as far as the offensive standpoint, it's hard to – Hard to argue it wasn't disappointing with Galladay, with Tony, Saquon, and all those guys. 
not out of England. He just sucks. I believe the owner said that they wanted to do right by Daniel Jones because they've screwed him up so badly already. And this is, you know, this is how to do it. The, you know, I can't say enough that the offense should be better. Kenny Galladay will catch a touchdown, I have to imagine. And the only negative before I continue on the positives is that much like Kevin O'Connell and Hackett, how much of the success in Buffalo was on him? How much was he responsible for Josh Allen's development versus the quarterback coach or Allen's offseason work? Palmer, possible to know. You can definitely say he ran a good offense. I would say probably a little too much running with Allen for me, just because of injury possibility. But Allen is a big guy, so maybe that was what he said. But the offense clearly thrived under Dable, so it's reason to believe it would be the same. But that's just a little thing in the back of my head. However, he brought in Mike Kafka as his offensive coordinator, who was around Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, and Patrick Mahomes for the last four years. And I would argue Kafka was the hottest offensive coordinator candidate. I could be wrong about that, and we'll see, but I would have wanted Kafka, considering he's been learning from Reid and poaching Mahomes and everything. And on top of that, he added Martindale as his defensive coordinator. So his cast, combining himself with the offensive and defensive coordinators, is the top one so far. Now, not everyone has hired their coordinators yet, but I don't know that you can be bringing in someone as big as Martindale as his defensive coordinator. So for me, it's the best hire when you take into everything. And Jack, uh, you can finish us off here. So to Zach's point about the offense, I mean, I'm more of a defensive guy, but I do just want to kind of make a note here is I know Giants fans and even just football fans in the league watch Daniel Jones and it's like man this is this is not the answer in New York but then you look at the guys that came in after him when Jones went down and Glennon and Fromm and I mean these guys were getting negative offensive yards in a total game now granted yes the injury bug hit their offense really really hard this year however you look at what Fromm and and Glennon did compared to what Jones was doing. And you got to at least think to yourself that, hey, Jones isn't that bad. Jones has something there if he can make anything of what no one else can make anything out of. I mean, at least Daniel Jones could get one positive yard. I mean, these guys were literally, I think they got sacked for more yards than they had passing yards in these games. But that's neither here nor there. Zach mentioned that Martindale was brought in as the defensive coordinator and he has to be one of the most surprising fires and I know that this isn't a firing episode but you look at Baltimore and I mean I'm on social media a lot it sounds like Ravens fans are calling for the head of Greg Roman and the Ravens are like you know what no we're gonna get rid of Martindale and we talk about the Giants offense being injury riddled look at the Ravens defense Humphrey and Peters both went down Tavon Young was out multiple games Chuck Clark Deshaun Elliott I mean the team itself had probably like 53 injuries you probably could have made an entire team of their injured players but I mean they had superstars out I mean they're I think he's a rookie something Stevens was supposed to be their number one corner on the outside and it's like he's not and we watched it in in the the Green Bay game he could not stick Adams and I get that that's kind of an out there case but if you if you want to earn a starting job in this league you need to get used to that and Martindale can't be to blame for not having players Roman can be blamed for not running a great offensive system so Martindale to Zach's point is is an absolute steal for this team who much like the Ravens not maybe to the extent but has the pieces Leonard Williams uh Ojolari Carter uh, Martinez, Tay Crowder, uh, Peppers, Ryan, McKinney. I mean, I heard they want to get rid of Bradbury, but for the time being, Bradbury, 
there's pieces there, and I know Martindale is going to find a way to utilize those guys. And the Giants ran, I believe, a 3-4 this past year. So Martindale, it's not like he has to reshape the defense. He can run the same system he did in Baltimore. I think that obviously there's there's pieces needed there, but the Ravens have a history of wicked defense and having the coordinators that run it, Dean Pease and Don Martindale. It should be a lot better for the Giants. Just to kind of close out here, if you haven't already, we published our website yesterday. Everything on there is just kind of preliminary so that we could publish the website. All rankings of our prospects are going to obviously be updated as we get further into film study. As we noted after the Senior Bowl podcast, we have started free agent and offseason stuff. We have an article about potential trade targets of offensive weapons in the league that aren't quarterbacks. We have the top quarterback free agents and potential landing spot articles up that was published today. We should have some podcasts coming up within the next week or two about free agency and the different position groups. And I know we were talking last night about doing a trade podcast and kind of adding like a fun little aspect of like these crazy scenarios in the league that are not going to happen, but it's fun to think about type of thing. But we do have a lot of content coming out. We should be starting our film study within the next week or so as well. So there's going to be plenty of stuff to check out on the website.